With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Orn. And we couldn't do it without the master of ceremonies, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm wonderful. As you can see, I'm getting this thing down, whatever it is you do. Well, here's the deal. I don't want to yell into the microphone. I know some of you who just listen, you're probably like, what the hell are they talking about? Go over to adfreeshows.com. We're not just bringing you audio now, we're bringing you video. But all of this today is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And they are bringing you this very special bonus episode. Arn folks are going to get sick of me and you this week. We had our regular show on Tuesday and boy, Dave Silva did you dirty with the graphic. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then yesterday we had uh, totally Blanchard on a video chat with us. We never have guests. We broke our format. We did it for Geico and now we're doing it again. Three Arn shows in the same week. Is it possible to overdose on Arn? Yes. <laughs> Don't believe it. Ask my family. I, uh, man, there's so much fun stuff happening this week, by the way, this is Christmas week as Arn and I are recording. This It's Christmas Eve's Eve, uh, but I think you'll probably hear it either on Christmas Eve or Christmas day, whatever. Uh, we're just thankful that you're spending some time during the holiday season with Arn and myself. And we're thankful that Geico is making it happen. Our topic today is Arn's run in the WWF. We have tons of questions about this. It feels like people are so curious and fascinated with your brain buster run. I thought, you know what? Let's just give them what they want. Let's dedicate a whole show to the WWF run when you were an in-ring competitor. But before we jump into that, I got to ask, did you see how your man, Dave Silva, as Jr. calls him bull Ramos, did you dirty with that graphic this week? Would that be Santa Claus laying on his side? Yes. With the big drum? Yes. Well, I consider myself to be generous with the people that are around me. And I do have a drum, but somehow to be laying there like Playgirl magazine is not the answer, Dave. 
It's not. And it's funny because when I saw it, I quote tweeted it and I said, really dude. And tagged him. Do you like walking normally? Because you're going to get a spine buster and that'll be corrected shortly. I'm sure. If he wasn't such a valuable part of the team and jumps on everything I ask him to do, I would say, you know what? I'm going to ride down to Dave's and just have a word with him about, <laughs> about making me look better than I look, not worse, Yeah, but he's, he's such a value to you. Do you even realize how valuable Dave Silva is? He tells me every day. Well, Hey, if you don't sing your own praises, nobody else is going to do it. No, that's exactly right. I mean, that is a big part of marketing. Let's talk about the WWF man. I'm pretty excited to talk about this. We just talked a lot with Tully Blanchard about how it all came together and why you left. I want to sort of fill in the middle, but usually what we do on this show every other week is we throw the keys to the show, to our listeners. And I want to start with that instead of finishing with fan questions, let's start with fan questions. And we've got a ton. There's no way we'll get to all of them, uh, but let's jump in here. Big extra has a question that everybody wants to know. Why did the brain busters never have an entrance theme? Well, wow. You know, we never had music up until we went to the ring with Rick and they played his music. We right. never had a set of uh, interest music. So it was just, it was another day at the office. However, on their show where most of the talent that were going to be featured did have music, correct? D- didn't they at that time? Yeah. Almost everybody. I think the only other talent who didn't have music in the WWF at the time was Andre the giant. So for you to not have entrance music was definitely different. Yeah. And with a show that was so high on production values and, and making it a big deal and feeling like, oh, this is a huge thing, pyro blowing up, uh, music, you know, that's one way you can look at it and you can look at it. If the announcers would have told the story, which I don't think they did is it's different. And if Andre was the only other one that didn't have uh, music that puts us in the exclusive group and it makes it different. And it's like, we're all business from the minute you come through the curtain to the minute you go back through the curtain, that could have been easily sold by the announcers. Pretty sure they didn't go that route. They just, you know, we weren't one of their creations and you know how that goes. Josh white wants to know, is there anybody who showed hostility towards you or Tully when you first were coming in? I'm assuming uh, with, with you guys being such a hot team from a rival company, you may have had some issues. Uh, not to our face, you know, and here's what may have helped us just to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I mean, I never had a beef with, but just a handful of guys the entire time I've been in the business. And at that time, uh, I had no beefs with anybody working there. Um, but Tully and I pull up to Fort Wayne, Indiana, I believe it was our first television taping and get our bags out of the trunk. We're walking in the back door and we see this commotion. And at that moment in time that we came through the back door was when, uh, the Rougeos had their deal with the bulldogs, the sucker punch, 
Uh, Jacques hit him with a roll of quarters, I think, knocked some of Bulldog's teeth out, and the shit hit the fan. I mean, it was like a movie. We walk in the back door, shit starts blowing up. Uh, had nothing to do with us, obviously, but I guess there had been some ribbing going on in the locker room and some stuff that was at, uh, had really built to a crescendo, and it blew up this day at TV. And I guess there was a big talent meeting right away and any more ribbing or any more anything and guys are going to lose their job. It got serious. So if anybody was planning anything for us, it probably got the kibosh along with everything else that day. Let's, uh, let's do a question here from Jason. He says, who came up with the entrance? I have no recollection of him or Tully ever jogging to the ring in the NWA. I don't think you did that every time in the WWF, but I did see it a few times. Is that more of a production element where you just need the timing of the show? And if there's not music or whatever, maybe that makes sense. Or was there more to it than that? I don't remember, but if I was guessing, we probably didn't have much time. Right. And that was a way to gain a A minute and a half, Yeah, you know, and in a minute and a half, that's a lot of TV time. If you make it pay off for you. Uh, that's the first thing comes to mind. I don't think anyone would have told us, you know, get on down there or, or, Hey, let's try this. Let's jog to the ring. Because if you flip the coin, the rockers always ran to the ring. Right. So it wouldn't have been okay. You know, I just don't think it was planned. I think it was more that we didn't have much time. Let's get down there and make it pay some dividends. Uh, here's one from RCS 88. Was Tom McGee your only singles match in the WWF? Mm, I don't think so. I think uh, when one of the Bushwhackers, one of them got hurt and Tully and I alternated out working a single match and one of us would be on the floor and one would wrestle the single match. Uh, We had a whole couple of loops of that. Uh, Other than that, it Tom McGee would might've been the only one. He was the only dark match. I think I had, that was a single and it was basically just to see what he had. Here's a fun one here. I don't think we've talked about this before. Uh, Halloween havoc 89 says we know fans in the crowd would throw up the four fingers to you guys in the WWF, but did any of the guys backstage do it almost mockingly? I'd imagine a lot of that, a lot of the boys back then at least would have still acknowledged how cool a group the horsemen were privately. Uh, nothing that I ever saw. I'm sure a lot of things went on when we weren't in the room. Right. Um, you know, there's always been controversy and jealousy and competition within the business. And that's good. I mean, everybody should be doing their dead level best to go out and steal the show every night. That's right. Uh, And uh, we just continued to do what we always did. And I know that the guys working with us all, if they didn't have uh, a positive thought about us going in, coming out, they did because they saw that we were uh, dead set on making the match get over having our opponents get over and basically do our job. Uh, Joshua says, Mr. Anderson, God forbid, 
but what would you do if Vince McMahon passed away tomorrow and then read in his will, he'd left his entire company to his old employee, Arn Anderson. What would be your first move? Uh, probably drink a fifth of Jack Daniels in one gulp <laughs> and have somebody slap me in the face. Cause I was obviously having a nightmare. I can't imagine. I mean, I know that everybody likes to armchair quarterback what WWE does. I get it. But can you imagine actually having to run that company? That would not be a fun job. Not qualified. First one in the world to tell you not qualified. Now, I think I could offer some suggestions, which I've always done, but running that company, oh my God, you have to have a staff of people that you trust that are uh, uh, very, very smart where their business is and sees where it's going and see where it's been and try to mesh the two. But my God, I mean, so many things that no one ever sees, myself included, that go into running that company. I couldn't imagine it. John wants to know, do you have any Andre the Giant stories? Uh, basically, the, the simplest thing about Andre, <laughs> which if you know that some days his back was killing him and he was not in a, a good mood and on those days, you better find another locker room. Uh, other days, he was the biggest, happiest, pleasant giant you could possibly be. But somewhere in between those two, there is a giant that had serious gas. And, buddy, <laughs> when he pooted. <laughs> you better hit the door on the fly because it engulfed the room instantaneously. The flapping that was involved for the noise effect before the funk started to engulf the room was a high spot all its own. But, buddy, it smelled like a, a meat locker with full of a bunch of rotting meat. That's all I can tell you. And he would just go, oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, still got his hand full of cards. The flapping, my goodness. Flapping. Whether you rent or own, Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Having a home is hard work, so get a quote at geico.com. It's easy. Jesse wants to know, which tag belts did you like better, Arn? The NWA one on those blue straps or those dual-plated WWF tag belts? Hmm. I think they both, uh, more so than what they looked like it was more so what they represented it. And, uh, I think both of them represented different things. Uh, one was, uh, NWA was my home. It's what I grew up on. It was, uh, it was my world and, uh, to be the world tag team champions and represent the NWA and Jim Crocker promotions was a huge honor. Uh, to be the WWF at the time, tag champions, means not only were we doing the right things with NWA, apparently we had done something right as far as the business in general because two companies were as different as night and day. So to be recognized as one of the number one teams in the world, pretty good feeling for both. 
Yeah. Great belt as a belt collector. Uh, I like the dual plated, but, uh, there's something about a colored strap that I think most belt collectors really dig too. That's uh, pretty fun. Uh, here, Agreed. Here's one from, uh, Andrew. If things had worked out and you would have stayed in the WWF, who would you have wanted to wrestle that you didn't get the chance to? <clears throat> Probably Mr. Perfect, mm. which I never wrestled. How about Ted DiBiase senior? Yeah. I can't believe you never wrestled him. Nope. Uh, but what a hell of a performer. Um, Gosh, those two come to mind right away. Um, I think, um, let's just go with those two. Here's a, here's a fascinating one. What was your reaction when dusty Rhodes showed up in 89? It was different. It was different. Um, he went from being the boss to one of the boys and you're there to see it happen. That's an interesting dynamic, huh? Uh, it could have been, it sure could have been. Um, I was the first one to go up and shake his hand and, and say, I hope there's no hard feelings. Uh, he agreed there was not, um, you know, and I'm a guy that will forever be, uh, indebted to dusty roads and what the three years with Jim Crockett promotions. And he was in charge of that. Uh, pretty much set the, uh, foundation for the rest of my life. Uh, as far as my, you know, uh, being financially successful, having a long run with the company and, uh, uh, pretty much learning the business. So I learned so much being in the company that, was under his watch. It was, uh, it was cool. Now I was sitting there gritting my teeth, trying to figure out how they were going to punish this guy who had openly said, uh, we're going to kick Vince's ass. Right. Which word gets out. And that's a challenge. And if you do more power to you, if you don't somewhere down the road, the guy's going to make a comeback. That's what he does. And when I saw the polka dots and all that stuff, I knew that the options were minimal. And Dusty had led a grand lifestyle. He had a big home and nice cars and nice things and provided nice things for his family. But he had a he had a pretty good lifestyle pumped up. And that was the only place you would have been able to work and make uh, the kind of money that he was used to making. He was smart enough to just grin and go with the flow. Yeah. When you've got that monthly overhead, you've got that monthly nut to cover. Uh, that's real stress for any husband, dad provider. Uh, and he did what he needed to do. And by God, he made it work. He got polka dots over. Sure did. Uh, Arn, uh, Wayne wants to know, Arn, what was the bigger adjustment when you left Crockett for the w for the WWF? Was it travel or the size of the ring? Travel. You know, I could, I could take a map and just about from memory, take my finger and sit you down beside me and go, Hey, we would start here, Miami. We would go to Idaho the next day. We would go back to Boston. Uh, 
after Boston, we would go to Spokane, Washington. After Spokane, we'd go to Raleigh, North Carolina. After Raleigh, we would go back to uh, New Mexico. And the skipping around and the length of flights and connections, you would look at me and say, you know what? You're full of shit. You're lying to me. Nobody could do that. Oh, yes. There was a couple of cruiser guys doing that. And it was like somebody just shut their eyes and, and took a map and just threw darts at it. No rhyme, no reason, no anything. And I guess that comes from a place where business was so hot, they were doing business wherever they went. So they weren't concerned about how long your flight was. They were just booking towns and buildings at building availability on that day. Hell, grab it. It's unbelievable. Here's one. Uh, about the Heenan family. David says during your first year with the WWF, if you time traveled to today to bring back one wrestler to join the Heenan family, who would it be and why? So the gist is who in today's wrestling world would have been a good fit with the Heenan family back in 88, 89. In today's yep. group of talent. Yes, sir. Hmm. Wow. 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 While you're thinking about that, let me remind everybody, whether you rent or own Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance, go to Geico.com today. It's easier than thinking about who would fit in the Heenan family. Just because of the hodgepodge of different personalities and everybody being different. Uh, how about, uh, John Moxley? Oh, I could see that. That'd be fun. He could be the lunatic, which is what he is anyway. Works for me. Uh, Jeremy says the first time I saw you guys on a WWF TV match, a pop-up window showed an interview of you guys during the match until he made a comment like, look at what we're doing to these guys. Who came up with that idea and how was it received in the locker room? It was freaking great. Well, I don't know how great it was. <laughs> it was probably, I'm sure it was scripted because that's not, I think we would have taken a more sophisticated approach than yeah. just look what we're doing to those guys. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'll go on record and say those were scripted. Juan wants to know, was there ever any talk of you and Tully splitting up for singles action during your WWF run? I could have seen either one of you guys having a run with the intercontinental title. Thank you, sir. But no, sir. And it wasn't broke. And that wasn't something that we would be willing to fix. Luke wants to know prior to your coming in here, had you ever even met Bobby Heenan? Uh, no, but what did it? wonderful experience I had after I met him. He's the, we've talked about this Conrad. He's the most quick witted, funny, hilarious guy you will ever meet. It doesn't matter. You know, you can walk up to Bobby having not seen him for two weeks and just walk up and just grab your belt buckle and turn it up and go, Bobby, what do you think of this belt buckle? And before you could get buckle out of your mouth, he had a, he had a jab at you at something funny. And uh, you know, he was so quick. I, it amazed me how quick the guy was. 
brilliant, I would say. Josh White wants to know, let's say Tully were to have gotten injured and couldn't tag with you. Who would you have wanted to be your tag team partner as long as he couldn't wrestle? So the idea well, is they keep you in tags. You're going to have a run now without Tully. Who would it be? Haku. Oh, really? And I'll tell you why, because when Tully turned in his notice and then he got popped, you know, and sent home early in the middle of that three month notice, Haku became my partner to wrestle demolition all around and finish our bookings. Cause Andre was hurting and moving slow. So you could just put you guys together and buddy, he could go. Okay. Haku could go, man. He's a hell of a, hell of a performer. And, uh, and I love the man. He's, he's got the kindest heart of anybody you'll ever meet. And what a great roommate. We healed rooms together, traveled together, went to the gym together, everything. And, uh, World-class, world-class gentleman. Uh, Mike wants to know, was there any specific instructions Vince gave you to alter your in-ring work and was blading a no-no there? Don't do that. Don't hold up the four fingers. Under any circumstances. That was day one. And, uh, what was the other one part of it? Was blading a no-no? Oh yeah. You know, during those years, it was, uh, you know, it was HIV. Everybody was cognizant of, uh, of a, it was a real, very real threat uh, around that time. And uh, absolutely no blading. Well, let's talk about your time there. You know, uh, all the differences that we've broken down so far with fan questions. You mentioned a minute ago that you, uh, showed up to your first TV and, and sort of laid out what that scene was like. I've got your entire schedule, which is pretty crazy in front of me. You really were all over the place. Fort Wayne, Indiana was filmed on October 5th, 1988. It aired on October 22nd. Your first match in the company is, uh, you guys teaming up of course with Bobby Heenan in your corner to defeat Tommy angel and Bob Emery in two minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, prior to the bout, Heenan introduced you both as the newest members of the Heenan family and your build here as the brain busters, boy, you're off to a hell of a start. You got a cool name and they didn't change your look. You're not in silly costumes. They didn't put a bird on your shoulder or a snake in your bag. Uh, so that's all looking pretty good. And then you get Bobby Heenan. It's we're clicking on all cylinders so far. Yeah. I mean. That's the one thing I'll never say is, is we weren't used properly and we weren't given a goofy gimmick or give or goofy costuming, uh, you know, other than being able to do this, which would have blew the roof off the house. I'm sorry. Some, a lot of fans watch both shows, right? So it's not like they didn't know what we were doing, but they were doing this for like three weeks or a month. But when we didn't give it back to them, they gave up because every time for the past three years, they had done this, we did this back to them or that one, but to just ignore it, you know, they just, after a while, they just went shit. They're not giving it back to us. So piss on it. We'll stop doing it. You did a superstars taping where you guys picked up a win in two minutes and 15 seconds over David Isley and rusty riddle. 
Blanchard gets the win here with a slingshot suplex. Was it ever discussed you guys using different style or different finishing maneuvers at all, or just, Hey, do your thing. We already had them over. Why switch? You had, uh, some early matches uh, in the fall of 88 in, in, in October. I don't know why I'm being vague there. Jim powers and Paul Roma. You guys had a bunch of matches with them. It's kind of ironic knowing not too terribly long from now, Roma is going to be with you in WCW and a horseman. What can you tell us about working with powers and Roma? Oh, those guys were, they were great baby faces. Um, you know, they look good, great bodies trained hard. Uh, and, uh, you know, as far as being a baby face team, they had all the baby face skills, you know, and, uh, we, we enjoyed working with them. They could do just about everything. And, uh, you know, other than not being positioned very well, you know, uh, they were still look good, could perform, you know, and we enjoyed the matches with them. This one really stuck out to me. October 28th, 1988. There's only 2000 fans in attendance, but where are they? The Greensboro Coliseum, the home of Starcade, the old Crockett territory. You're back just a few weeks or a few days into your WWF run. And you're taking on the rockers. Man, a lot to unpack here. The first brain buster rockers match. This is probably your first time in the same ring with Shawn Michaels. And there's only 2000 fans in the freaking Greensboro Coliseum. If, if the banner out front would have said NWA instead of WWF, I have a feeling there would have been a lot more than 2000 fans there. What do you remember about your first match with the rockers? If anything, you know, I, I know how I feel about it here and it now, right. I would have been humiliated that we only had 2000 fans, right? Uh, I would ask if we were advertised, right? And if we were, I would be even more humiliated that that's all, that's all we could draw in Greensboro. But I also know Greensboro fans are very, extremely loyal. WWF was not their team, right? NWA was their team. And, uh, they would, I know this for a fact, there would be some that would go, I don't watch that stuff. Not going, even if Tarn and Arn and Tully are there. Uh, but I would have, you know, changed to another gear once that bell rang because those guys were so good. You know, I, I caught myself just sitting there watching the match that, you know, if I was on the apron, just marveling at, at the stuff they were doing. So I was a, instant fan and i wanted to get all that wrestling those guys that we could possibly get because every day was a learning experience for myself for sure sean and marty go together like home and auto over at geico.com because whether you rent or own geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance go to geico.com today and get a quote i'm, I'm fascinated by your run here man because here you are the home of starcade you're back home you're taking on two of the all-time greats in Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. And two days later, you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you're going to pick up a win against the British Bulldogs, Davey Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid. I imagine by this point in 88, Dynamite's probably hurting pretty good. What do you remember about working the Bulldogs? Yeah, I mean, those guys were, uh, 
were well established. I know Barry Darso of Demolition really enjoyed working with those guys. You know, they were very physical, but very talented. But, uh, you know, it, it's uh, we caught them kind of towards the end of their run. They were on their way out. I think they were probably working a notice. And uh, uh, I guess the best thing you could take from that is they were business all the way. Uh, I had heard, you know, Barry talk about what good guys those guys were. And Dynamite Kid was, was one that uh, he kind of broke the mold about how big you got to be in this business, which I've always contested don't matter. If you're solid in your work ethic and you're believable, nobody's going to question five minutes into a match how tall you are. And he was one of those classic examples of of guys that broke through that barrier and made it available for other small guys to be accepted in the business, I think. It's so fascinating that you're seeing this right before they leave. I mean, a month later, they're out of there, but you can at least say you got to work with the Bulldogs and it's just a couple of days after you worked with the rockers, you're going to get a, a lot of TV time, uh, in early November, or I guess you filmed it in Toronto in early November, but it doesn't air until after the first of the year, but they let you go over 12 minutes on primetime wrestling, which in that era is a long match. It's you and Tully, of course, picking up a win over Jim powers and Paul Roma Blanchard is the illegal man here. And he's going to pin powers with a sunset flip off the top. Uh, and a clothesline from Arn Anderson, of course, but 12 minutes on primetime TV, not a big deal for you. You'd been doing it on Turner station for a long time, but this isn't challenge or superstars. It's not syndicated. This is their flagship show. And to get featured there with a 12 minute match that lets you know, they've got big plans for you, right? Yeah. And at that point we had already gained their confidence that we could pull it off, uh, we're all about business bell to bell. And, uh, that never changed, never wavered. Uh, it's what we did. I'm interested to see, um, what you remember, if anything about this big show in uh, Ottawa, Ontario, you've got Tully and Arn beating Paul Roma and B Brian Blair. And later in the same night, you're going to fight the tag team champions demolition to a double DQ. Now, the reason you're pulling double duty is because you're substituting for the British Bulldogs, but this means you get to work with your old pal, Barry Darso. Do you remember this double duty and, uh, what happened with the Bulldogs? Um, I really don't. I really don't. Um, but if that was the first time working with Barry and Bill, you know, that was just, Hey, work like you work with the road warriors, right? Make them demolition. And I'm sure that's exactly what happened. They hammered the dog shit out of us. Uh, but I don't remember the, the double duty. But in those days, if it was a TV taping, they would do three weeks of TV. So you could do, hell, some TV tapings you would wrestle three times. Mm. And as we know, each time you go to the ring, after they see you once, the reaction is smaller Third time you go to the ring, it's like, oh, come on, come on, Jesus, even smaller. And there's nothing you could do about that, you know, and that's the reason they sweetened up some of the crowd noise and, and some of those things that they could do from a production standpoint that kind of felt funny, 
because we had never needed that. We had never needed to sweeten the crowd up, um, just go do our thing, and the crowd would give it back to you. So I don't remember those that particular day, though. Let's talk about um, maybe it's your first time. I don't know. We'll see. November 15th, 1988, you're at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. It's sold out. 14,600 fans there, and it's a superstars taping. Uh, you guys are going to go to a no contest uh, with the uh, the Rockers. It airs in December, and then you guys continue the feud around all of the house shows. But the Cow Palace is a legendary wrestling building. Would you have been there with the NWA before, or was this your first time as, you, as far as you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crockett ran that building. I don't remember the numbers. I don't think it was that good. Yeah. I think that was, was a WWF town. Right. And that ju- just like we had our towns, the Greensboro's, the Charlotte's, the Atlanta's, the Jacksonville, Florida's, you know, all those towns that were pro NWA, uh, Baltimore, WWF had a ton of them too. And they, their fans were loyal to that product. 14,000 people in the cow palace. Uh, that's, that's pretty damn stout. Yes, it is. Let's talk about Sacramento on the 16th. Uh, I mentioned earlier that you beat Roma and B Brian Blair earlier in the month. Uh, Brian was subbing for Jim powers that day, but allegedly at the Arco arena, November 16th, big crowd, 15,900 folks. They are definitely a WWF town. It comes out that B Brian Blair was fired at this taping because he refused to do the job for you and Tully in a tag match. So it's Jim Brunzel and Lanny Poffo instead of the, the full killer bees team. You guys only get three minutes and 42 seconds. Blanchard pins Brunzel with a slingshot suplex. It airs on wrestling challenge about a month later. Do you remember the, uh, the hubaloo here on, on B Brian Blair? You know, I, I really don't, I don't remember that. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. He felt that way. Only he could tell you his reasoning if that actually occurred, but that would have been a private conversation. I would think with, uh, probably him and Jack Lanza, you know, in those days, if it was something that was taken care of in the locker room, uh, you probably never even heard of it. And I don't remember hearing about that, but if it did, he had his reasons and hope it worked out for him. We've talked a lot about survivor series 88. We'll skip that for now, but it happened on the 24th big crowd there. Let's talk about December 6th, Daytona beach, the ocean center. This is the same building where Hulk Hogan became a bad guy and joined the NWO, but they're doing a superstars taping here for France. Uh, this is a fascinating time in the business where we're doing different tapings for different syndicated networks. And this is the time where you wrestled Tom McGee. Uh, the write-up is Tom McGee defeated Arn Anderson by count out at 544 following a super kick, which knocked Anderson out to the floor, 10,000 plus here in the building. We've talked about this a little bit. You want to mention to us again, what you remember about, uh, Tom McGee and your single match here in, in Daytona. Well, I have come to find, find out that, um, apparently it was a three match series. It was me and Tom. DiBiase and Tom, Brett and Tom, Bret yep. Hart, different TV tapings. And uh, it was all the dark match. There were dark matches before the show started and all that. And 
it was basically to find out other than a punishment, which I, I never looked at it as bad, but a test. Yes. Number one, to see what he had. Uh, and number two, to see how I handled doing the, doing the favor for him. Um, course that was a test in those days and you're you know the worst thing you could say is why are they beating me the answer would be they're going to beat you every week after that right that's just the biggest no-no there is other than being a thief or being just totally reckless why are they beating me just don't fly why not beat you who can you beat you know would be my question is there anybody you can actually beat uh but uh, Tom had an incredible look, incredible body, was an incredible athlete. And as we know, that doesn't necessarily translate into becoming a great professional wrestler. A lot of great athletes in different genres have came through our industry, and it's, it's totally different from anything anybody's ever done. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, Tom just never worked out and kind of just disappeared off the planet. Yeah. We brought him back for Starcast two in Vegas and it was, uh, it was quite the happening to get to relive that match and, and watch it with Brett and Tom. Let's talk about when you're working with Brett, because it happens next in the Meadowlands, December 18th, 1988, the brain busters and the heart foundation. Did you have a preference working with the rockers or working with the heart foundation? <clears throat> If I had my druthers, I would rotate between the Rock and Roll Express and the Rockers every other day for my entire career. Wow. That's awesome. I'm not, I'm not speaking down about Brett and, and uh, Nightheart. They were tremendous performers, and they were a great team, and they knew each other, and there were such a contrast between their styles. Your best teams to me were the ones that had totally different styles, but they just meshed and they catered to each other. Uh, but when you've had the experience of the rock and roll express and the rockers, they're just special. And those were, they'll be talking about those matches. I hope 20 years from now. Oh, they will. And they're going to be talking about how much they saved over at Geico.com because whether you rent or own Geico makes it easy to bundle that home and car insurance, having a home is hard work. So get a quote at Geico.com. It really is that easy. I'm glad to see you guys are starting off 89 in my home state here in Huntsville, Alabama. January 3rd is the first time you guys win a match with a spike pile driver. As far as I know, as for a superstars taping, it'll air later that same month. The next day you're down in Birmingham, only a couple hours away. This is a wrestling challenge taping. It's going to air in February. And again, the spike pile driver. How did that evolve into being your, your new finish maneuver here? Uh, we talked about it and assuming that we were going to be working with demolition, we thought it made sense to have a high impact finish that involved both of us. So should it come up? That would be something believable that you could use on demolition down the road. Where our makes, se- that, makes sense. It does. I like it a lot. Never thought about it that way. Did you? I have not. There was actually a, a thought process and a conversation and 
Method to the Madness. Let's talk about the Royal Rumble, 1989. It's your second pay-per-view event. Of course, your first one was Survivor Series. 19,000 folks here on January 15th. You come in about 28 minutes in. You last for about 10 minutes that night. It takes uh, a couple of big guys uh, to eliminate you. Uh, well, I guess one giant one named Hulk Hogan. I think he yep. gets both of you with a double clothesline. Uh, those big guys are known as the 24-inch pythons. But what can you tell us about your first and only Royal Rumble? Well, the goal was, you know who the man was at that time. You got to put over Hogan. Hogan must pose. It was our idea to do the uh, double clothesline because I can assure you, in those days, people were concerned, talent, getting themselves over. There wasn't a big thought process of what can I do for the other guy because it was so competitive, such a cutthroat business at that time. And uh, guys were just, and I get it, guys were trying to get themselves over. I'll just say it. We were already over. Right. And we could do something like this with Hogan because it made him who he was bigger than life. And I assure you, you weren't going to see that the rest of the night. There was a plan. We get in there and float around for, for 10 minutes or so and make it as exciting. Feed as many guys as we possibly can. And when it's time, have Hogan eliminate us. And uh, he was grateful he said he was, he said, thank you very much. You know, that was above and beyond. And we knew exactly what we were doing. Check this out. January 23rd, 14,000 fans in Madison square garden. It's going to air on primetime wrestling a week later. Arn and Tully are going to defeat Sean and Marty in sixteen fourteen, when Blanchard pinned Gennady after Anderson swept Gennady's foot during an attempted suplex and held the laces of his boot down during the cover. This is your Madison square garden debut. Um, well, I hate to make this, you know, more sappy than it needs to sound, but for a Rome, Georgia boy wrestling in the Omni is your Madison square garden, but then actually getting to wrestle in Madison square garden has to be a whole nother level, right? Nope. Really? With all the famous Ali Frazier, all that great history in that arena, it was just another show. You don't get it. In my mind, the Omni was Madison Square Garden. I got you. It was just in a different geograph geographical right. place. Right. That's where, because I, I never watched WWF TV because I didn't get it growing up, but I got the Superstation. And I got to see all of those incredible talents that passed through there. Uh Rome, where I lived about once every six weeks or so, would get a live event that I could go see, which was the same company I was watching on television. Mm -hmm. And that arena, the Omni, it was just like it was the Holy Grail. And when I went to New York, I was so shell-shocked just by trying to get a rent-a-car parked across the street three floors down on a parking deck. By the time I got in the business, my nerves were already or in the building. My nerves was already shot. Now you got to go out and wrestle a match. And, and if you look at the back back part of Madison Square Garden, you know it's pretty much a dump. It is. You know, and and it's like. But then you start to think about what you said. 
you know, all the history, all the great teams, all the great matches, all the, all the things that the boxing matches, every event that had happened. And it starts to, as you look around that arena, you start to get a feel for, Hey, this place is something special. And, you know, it was, it's just, I was loyal to the Omni, which will always seem like the Holy grail for me, but, but I get it where the garden is concerned, but for anyone that has had to not take a cab or have a car service, anyone that has driven a rent a car from Newark to the uh, garden and parked across the street, three floors down so that if you're there to the end and you walk down and get in your car and you're trying to get out of that parking deck, thousands of people are walking down the parking deck as you're trying to go up it. And if you don't think I've had a few rental cars beat up, windows knocked out, keyed up, and there's nothing you can do about it because it's a line of cars going up. It is one of the most frustrating, nauseating things you've ever went through. And I cannot stress it enough. Ask anybody that's been through it. Well, that's disappointing, Uh, but I get it. I've been there. Uh, the security is another level these days too. They have remodeled it. So it's a little nicer, but it is. You, a took, a, you took a limo though, right? Yeah. I got dropped off. You weren't driving a rental car. No. A different story. Getting dropped at the, uh, dropped off at the awning by your uh, car service. <laughs> Whole different experience. I like that. You're low key shitting on me. Let's keep that going. By the way, yeah. you know why I was in that limo? Because I can afford it thanks to Geico. I bundled my policies, baby. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. Fortunately, Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. It's a good thing, too, because having a home is hard work. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico.com. It really is that easy. Hey. Hey. You're not, you're not go, you're in corner of the market on being a Geico fan. I'm oh. a Geico fan. Oh, my bad. Okay. Just so you know. Okay. You got to get hot about it. In the word, in the words of Ron Simmons, damn. Uh, in Tucson, you're uh, another sellout over here. January 24th, uh, Sean and Marty this time are going to fight you to a no contest. Here we are several months into your run. You've still not lost a match. There's been some double count outs and DQs and things like that. Uh, but nobody's gotten a pinfall over you and that streak is going to continue. You actually work with a very young Louis Spicoli on the 25th, the very next day in Phoenix. It's a TV taping for wrestling challenge. I had no idea you wrestled Louis Spicoli back in 1989 and hell, you may not have remembered that either. Or did you? Uh, single match It was a tag match. It was, uh, he was teaming with a guy named Ricky attacky or uh, Atakai, Ricky Atakai. Atakai. I think you were probably right the first time. Just guessing. Ataki? Yeah, whatever. Fuck it. He lost. <laughs> <laughs> he would tell he beat the shit out of him. Took about two minutes. So, well, whatever. I was fascinated by Louis Spicoli, though. There was a reason I didn't mention old Ricky because I didn't. I knew I got to stay away from that last name. Let me just keep going. <laughs> well, he's not offended. Hell, you're talking about him on a on a top shelf show here. No doubt about it. Getting a plug. I, I want to mention you guys come back. To Greensboro. You're at the Coliseum again, the home of Starcade, February 5th, 1989. You're working with the Rockers in a return match. You're in a losing effort here, but it's by DQ. 
I don't know why they would beat you in Greensboro. I guess because you're the heels. But dude, you were embarrassed with two thousand folks there last time. It's only eighteen hundred here. This is not a good trend. We should keep our ass out of Greensboro. Yeah, I'm disappointed and I'm I'm embarrassed. And anybody with any business sense about our business would be embarrassed. It's terrible. Let's talk about your next major. This is probably your biggest show of the company at this point. Saturday night's main event. Number 20. It's uh, filmed on February 16th, 1989 Hershey park arena, Hershey PA 9,000. It's a sellout. It gets a 10.0 rating on NBC when it airs in March. Uh, they start the show uh, or they feature on the show. Okerlund doing an interview with you three. I say you three, cause I'm including Bobby, the brain, uh, great little promo here. And then the actual match itself, of course, goes to a double count out when everybody's brawling on the floor, nine minutes in, what was it like doing an NBC Saturday night live or Saturday night's main event? And it was with the rockers. Yeah. This is not the two out of three falls though. This is a nine no, minute. No, double no, no. Any time on that show. Now, Dick Ebersaw, for whatever reason, loved us. Right. And, uh, we loved him because he got us on all those Saturday night main events. And the number one thing was the exposure. The numbers were ridiculous on that show. Everybody was watching. And even more so, you got a double payoff. You got a payoff from NBC and you oh. got to pay, pay off from the company. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. And they were always packed. They were always big buildings and there were, you were paid just like it was a house show. So very profitable night. All through February and even into March and April, you're all over like Ontario, Indiana, Michigan, Massachusetts, Oregon, California, wherever you go, you're working with the rockers and you even have a match that goes to a 20 minute time limit draw that winds up airing on April 10th. You filmed it back on March 7th in El Paso, Texas, but still, uh, you're having a lot of fun with the rockers. It's clear you guys have chemistry because they keep bringing the match back over and over and over. Yep. I think, you know, I'm proud of that match as proud as anything I've done in the business. You know, I would have liked to have had every market see that match. That's how much I thought of it. And we were just having a ball working with those guys. I mean, they were just, they were special. Your second trip to Madison square garden is a matinee show, 20,000 folks, a sellout March 18th, 1989. It's televised on the MSG network. And, uh, Tony Schiavone, your old pal is on com is on commentary with Lord Alfred Hayes here. The rockers are going to beat Arn and Tully by DQ, but the real story here is you supposedly sustained a cracked vertebrae in the match. Is this the injury we've heard about before? Yeah, it was the beginning of the end. Um, those guys hit a double victory roll. And, uh, somehow now Marty will tell you, he did everything right. And I'm not going to dispute it, but my head did not get tucked and got jammed in the mat. And all I heard was, <laughs> um, purely accidental, uh, just one of those things that was probably my fault that I didn't get tucked anyway. Uh, but my arm started burning. Mm. I mean, right away. And when you're injured, you know, it, we get hurt every time we go to the ring, but getting injured, 
you know it. And I rolled out of the ring and Tully and Sean continued what they were, they were fighting off to the side and I rolled out and it had to be just one of those things because I just stopped ringside and I'm trying to assess how bad it was. And here comes Marty and, and I'm going neck, neck. Now he thought I'm telling him I'm hurt. He thought I meant punch me in the neck. So he starts punching me in the neck. And I said, no, you dumb son of a bitch. I'm hurt. Get away from me. He gets away. He got away from me. Uh, we somehow continued the match with me just basically coming in and kicking. Uh, that same night, Boston Garden, we had another shot. And to try to go out and have the kind of match that that town, which was a huge market. That's a sellout. 15,200 fans. Not only do you do the match, it's 22 minutes long. Well, heard or not, I knew something was bad. We didn't have what I would say legitimate doctors in the locker room like we like the business does now. I mean, you had a guy that would come in and check your check your uh, pulse and look at your eyes and go, yep, you're good. Uh, that was some more of those doctors that uh, commission doctors that were there to uh, get paid. But I knew something was bad and I had iced my neck all the way from the garden. And then I got there and I got, you know, some heating, couple of heating pads. And I, I, I was doing everything therapy wise I could, I would have to go back and look at the match and I haven't looked at it intentionally because I'm pretty sure from my perspective in my end, I shit the bed, but I had a broke neck and, uh, I got through another day or two, whenever the tour finished up, uh, ended up going home, getting an x-ray and the doc said, Oh, by the way, you got a cracked vertebrae. And I'd wrestled however many matches after that. So I just kept it to myself, spent my three days home, tried to do everything I could do therapy wise and went back on the road and just worked through it. It's remarkable that you gutted it out. If you're listening to this and you want to see that match, by the way, you can see it on the Shawn Michaels, my journey production. Let's talk about where we are, by the way. Both of these matches, Madison Square Garden, where the injury happened and where you gutted it out, same day, New York and Boston, March 18th, 1989. Less than two weeks later, it's time for WrestleMania, your very first WrestleMania. You're going to be taking on Strike Force, Tito Santana and Rick Martel. We've talked about this a little bit before, but they're going to use this to almost be a storyline for Tito and Rick to break up. They go nine minutes and 17 seconds. You got to be excited to be at your first WrestleMania Trump Plaza. This is big time stuff, but you're here hurt. That's less than ideal, right? Well, believe it or not, it was a blessing because being the fact that we did the, the switch and uh, the angle during the match, which came out of our match time yeah, and all that, I actually had to do a lot less that kind of went unnoticed because we shot the angle. Yeah. It was a blessing in disguise. God, I'd hate to be out there on WrestleMania, my first WrestleMania and not be able to do anything. So in a weird way, being dinged up 
and shooting that angle during that match and only having nine minutes, it actually worked out. I don't think it was noticeable that I was injured to the degree I was. Hope it wasn't. No. I mean, Meltzer liked it. He gave it two and a half stars and says uh, everything was executed well, but the match was nothing compared to the expectations many had. But it was because of the angle. It wasn't because of the match or the work. You know, it was just storyline, not shitting and getting. That's fair. Uh, you're back at it though. April 4th, we're taping superstars. And of course you guys are still winning everywhere with these spike pile drivers. Um, we do another, another Saturday night's main event. Uh, and this one happens on April 25th in Des Moines, but it airs on May 27th. So more than a month later And here, you're going to beat the tag champs demolition by DQ finally getting to work with demolition and in a primetime spot like Saturday night's main event, not just a house show, not to diminish that it's never not fun working with your old pal Darso, but Saturday night's main event against your old pal, the tag champs. That's pretty cool stuff. You bet. You bet. Absolutely. Love working with those guys. Uh, tremendous. And that vehicle again, that Saturday night's main event. I mean, they dressed up the arena. You know, everything, you know, extra pyro, extra music as the, you know, Saturday night's main event hanging above the ring, you name it. It was, it felt like a big deal because it was a big deal. That's right. And, uh, we were, we were on a roll and, uh, you know, we're established now and, and, uh, it was awesome. Really was. It's almost as awesome as saving money. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. It's hard work too. But you know what's easy? Bundling with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance, and it's a good thing, too. You're busy enough. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. Let's talk about April 26th. You're in Omaha. It's a primetime wrestling episode. Huge crowd, 10,310 fans. It's a sellout. But this is a little different. Arn and Tully are going to beat Coco Beware and the Blue Blazer. We know much later, Blue Blazer's not going to wear that mask. He'll be, uh, he'll be Owen Hart and they're going to have a tag team, the, the high energy or whatever. Chat me up though. Do you remember this match working with Owen? Is this the first time you worked with Owen? Possibly no other company. I don't think. Right. Uh, but him and Coco would have been a great babyface team to go out and, you know, us just give a competitive match to. There would be some teams that would go out and let's just say Warlord and Barbarian. I'm sure they wouldn't have had a competitive match with those guys. All the monster teams, you know, would have probably not took that opportunity. Coco Beware is a good worker. Yeah. Blue Blazer, very good worker. And we took advantage of that, I'm sure. Have to see the match back, but I would guarantee you almost for whatever time we had, we made it as competitive as possible. As April comes to a close all throughout May, June, and July through the house show circuit, you're losing one after another to the bushwhackers. And I recognize that these guys were badasses everywhere they were before they were here, but the sheep herders become the bushwhackers and effectively become comedy characters for kids. And I guess the rule of thumb on house shows is send them home. Happy. You got to have these, uh, kids favorites go over it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb in hindsight. What do you remember about all these matches with the Bushwhackers? Now we hadn't won the titles yet. Have N- we? No. 
So I use that word with Tom McGee, a test. Yeah. Actually, one of the bushwhackers, while we were working with them, we were putting them over anyway. One of them got hurt. Luke, so, Luke got hurt and Paul Roma was in there. Well, for a while, no one was there. Wait, you wrestled both bushwhackers. I mean, you, no, you both of you no, wrestled one no, bushwhacker. Both, it was a single match with one on the floor okay. totally, and we alternated. I see. But the reality is this, if he beat me or he beat Tully, he beat us both. That's right. The fact that it wasn't a handicap match and that, and that sense, we still did the things you have to do, getting heat on the guy behind the referee's back and all those things to try to paint the picture. He's not going to be able to overcome this. You had to tell the story, but in the end, what he ended up doing is beating you both because he did overcome it. Right. Uh, and we knew that. Uh, and I think I'm pretty correct. If they were, they were probably settled already that they were putting the tag titles on us. So they were giving us a test. Would we balk at putting the sheep herders over? And if we would have, they would have never seen those titles. It was just to see, Hey, are these guys going to do business? No matter what we did business, no matter what. Yeah. No matter what, including in the Cajun dome on June 16th, it's butch and Paul Roma subbing for Luke. Uh, beating, uh, beating you guys, Butch gets the pin on you. I want to mention there's a marathon taping on in Niagara falls on June 27th, 1989. And you wrestle the pit bulls. Now, of course they're not called the pit bulls, but our ECW listeners to this show will recall the pit bulls, Tony and Gary Wolf and Tony Durante and, and Gary Wolf. Either way though, you beat those guys in about two and a half minutes. Did you even recognize and looking back that you had ever worked the pit bulls? I know you probably saw them on ECW TV, but they, with as many matches as you've worked, it has to eventually just sort of blend together. Right? Yeah. A lot of them. I just, just can't remember. Right. Just can't. It's the sheer volume of, of different matches. And, you know, in, in those days it was twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday too, for TV taping. And it's uh, you could, like I said earlier, you could wrestle three matches at TV and they just started to run together. Uh, I hate that we didn't have more time because that one couldn't have been too competitive. Somebody had to get over during that match. And I would assume that would be us. You're exactly right. And it's because of what's coming next July 18th in Worcester, uh, at the central yeah. Marina there, there it is Saturday night's main event. Number 22, uh, it's filmed on the 18th. It airs on the 29th on NBC. This is the two out of three falls match where Arn and Tully win the tag titles from demolition. Smash pins Anderson and pinfall number one and pinfall number two. The champs are disqualified for continuously double teaming after ramming Heenan into a ring post and hitting the decapitation on Blanchard late in the fall, though, Andre, the giant pops up ringside and Anderson then pin smash at 1233. Once Blanchard hit smash in the back of a head, that was with a chair that was thrown in by Andre and it's a big celebration backstage. You're with Jesse Ventura. Rick Rude's there. Haku's there. Of course, Andre's there. Everybody's celebrating with the Hanan family and the brain busters are tag champs on NBC. No less. It's a big deal. Bet your ass. The only negative that came from that is Tully laid that chair in on Barry and, uh, 
gave me a concussion. Oh, shit. Yeah. He, he, you know, and I'm sure Barry, the kind of performer he is, he, he looked at Tully and said beforehand, hey, hit me. Because we're getting beat here. I want something substantial. But, you know, there's really no way with a guy's laying in the position he was because he hit him in the back of the head. It, you know, there's no way to judge it. There's no way to protect yourself. It's a steel chair, something people don't understand. You can say and do what you want. It's a steel chair. And it knocked him cuckoo, and he had some issues, I think, for a while after that, and him being as good a friend as he is of mine, that, that took a little bit of the, uh, the joy out of it. I want to mention 40, I mean, four months after this, you guys are out of here. I mean, you win the belts in July, you're gone in November and you were working out like a 90 day notice. So you're putting in notice, like just a month after winning the belts. Yep. And if you go back, you know, the thing about it is Conrad, you know, you've named all these towns and what the houses were and the dates Yeah. and how many people were there. Yeah. How could we be 50 grand behind what we had made with Crockett at that point in the fiscal year? Yeah. With all, cause it wasn't cause the business was down. Yeah. So when you ask that question, there's, there's probably two answers, right? One would be, Oh God, I had no idea. I'll fix that. Or, Oh, well, shit happens. And we got the, Oh, well, shit happens. So that's it. That's all there is to say. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't because business wasn't right. And, uh, you know, if you're the tag champions, you know, which are not paid like a single main event. Right. It's split four ways versus two ways. Right. So you're not going to make singles money, no matter where your position, uh, if you're in a tag. And uh, we figured out three weeks later when, when uh, we were told, okay, let me research this. I'll get back to you at the next TV taping. And it was a no go on catching us up to where we needed to be. So we could go forward the rest of the, of the year. So we turned in our notice. That's how that happened. Before we get there, I want to mention you guys do a uh, taping for superstars that airs on August 5th. And the three of you appear on the brother love show. And uh, Jesse calls your recent tag team title win a major upset that Nobody thought they had a chance. And I think you guys say something like we started off with the stallions, went to the rockers, went to the bushwhackers and finished with demolition and Heenan's promising at SummerSlam. You'll see the brain busters win again, just like this time, fair and square. What do you remember about your appearance on the brother love show? There's that was the cover of a, a WWF program and lots of people post that picture online. Well, it was cool. It was because that was a featured part of the show. Yeah. Uh, I would have hated that I couldn't do my own promo out of my own brain, out of my own mouth. And everything was scripted for us there. You know, we didn't get a chance to, you know, run with anything. And there was much time, wasn't much storytelling going on uh, in the promos. Uh, 
So, you know, it, at the time it would have been a big deal being on uh, Brother Love's show, but probably better use of the time if they would have gave us some time and let us say what we thought. The best use of your time right now, whether you rent or own, is to go to Geico.com because they make it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Go to Geico.com today. Let's talk about SummerSlam. It is your next big event. Again, another sellout. The Meadowlands, August 28th. Uh, you're in the opening match, defending your tag titles against the Hart Foundation. I love this match. I don't know why Meltzer didn't. He only gave it two stars. I thought it was fantastic. I thought your work in particular in this one really, really stood out. I love the way you do the illegal tag. And, uh, you, when you make the cover, you cover your head up with your arm and your opponent's arm to, you know, s- disguise the fact that it's you and not Tully really a great match. Uh, I, I, I loved your stuff with the heart foundation. I go back and watch this at least once a year. what do you think about it? I was a sneaky bastard. Wasn't I? Yes, you were and are. And I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, you know, those guys, they were great to work with and we had enough time. I would have liked to have done the spike pile driver for the finish just because it was stronger way to beat Brett, to be honest with you. Uh, the finish that we, that, you know, was came up with, it was, it was, uh, just so, so, and it wasn't as impactful. Uh, would love to have done our finish. It just, when you beat a guy with your best stuff, it's better for him. Uh, I'm not a big fan of a schoolboy or a roll up or anything. And, you know, if you're going to beat me, beat me with your best stuff. And that would have been our best stuff at the time. But uh, we had a fresh crowd. It was early and uh, nothing had been seen hardly yet. So, so we got them at the right time. And I think the crowd reaction was pretty good. No doubt about it. In September, you're going to continue working live events against demolition in Nashville, Minneapolis, LA, San Diego, and everywhere else. But then the big day happens, Louisville, Kentucky, September 20th. It's a wrestling challenge taping at the Louisville gardens. And uh, it's written during the day, WWF tag champions, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard gave their notice that they would be leaving the company for the NWA. Of course, later on that show, you would both win a squash match against a couple of unknowns. Same thing the next night. Here's what Meltzer wrote of this. We've got plenty of news to hit this week as well. The biggest story and the one with a lot of potential ramifications is that Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson gave their notice to the WWF at TV tapings on Wednesday night in Louisville. And will be leaving after the survivor series on Thanksgiving night to return to the NWA. If nothing else, this is the first time in recent memory that the NWA has actually raided from the WWF, a mainline talent and been successful. Truthfully, this has been a year without raids on either side. As with the exception of the WWF signing Tony Schiavone, a TV announcer, neither side has raided for all the entire year. Although there have been rumors that constantly float around. I don't know that I would call this a raid, but still, um, you've talked about this before to me off air, this set a bad precedent. Everybody jumped to the WWF. Nobody jumped to leave and you would be one of the first ones to go, right? The first one. Yeah. Number one, that was September the 20th, which you know what that is. My birthday. How about quitting on your birthday? That was sweet, 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 sweet. No, it, it was, uh, you know, I'm just a firm believer. You know, if you give me your word, stick by it. 
because I'll give you my word and I'll stick by it. And uh, there's no exceptions to that where business is concerned. Uh, and we turned in our notice and all that stuff. I didn't know it was out there and well known that, you know, because we didn't say we were going to the NWA. Actually, at that time, there was uh, some people in Japan getting a hold of us and wanting us to. So it wasn't like it was a definitive, okay, we're leaving here from there. But that might have been the story at that particular time. Um, but no one had put in their notice. And the contracts, you know, in those days were here's all you were guaranteed 10 days at $150 a day to do television. That's it. That's all your guarantee was on that contract, which any lawyer, any lawyer could have beat if you're willing to take it to court. So, you know, we were the first ones to turn in our notice and we were being used good at the time. It kind of took everybody by surprise. Uh, but when we came out of Vince's office, that's after giving our notice and stuff, and you know, it, it got out pretty quickly that we were leaving. There was about six or seven guys lined up to go in and see Vince that apparently were, I can't remember who it was, but they weren't happy either because business was good. Business was good. There's no reason the money would be down, but it was. And apparently there was more people having this discussion than us. And I guess after the second or third guy knocked on Vince's door, the word we heard was he said, look, guys, you guys must think these contracts are worthless or, or not valid contracts. If you want to contest them, that's fine. Nobody else is getting out of their contract. So there was, there was a stampede starting to build that he cut the water off pretty quick. Meltzer wrote a lot about this. He says in recent months, the salary structure within Titan sports, at least for the middle of the card wrestlers has been lower than in the past. And there's been speculation that they no longer have viable alternatives because they don't consider the NWA a viable alternative quote. I do know that most of the WWF wrestlers don't consider the NWA a viable promotion since most of the information they were getting was that it was on its last legs. Since brainwashing propaganda of the boys has been a longtime tool of management in many promotions, probably since the beginning of time in the business with Blanchard and Anderson leaving and claiming it was because they would make significantly more money in the NWA. All of a sudden, a lot of people who didn't consider the NWA as an alternative financially will now be taking notice as to how Vince McMahon handles this situation. Will McMahon ignore it, figuring that he's on top and is so far on top that this is nothing more than a minor inconvenience, or will he try and take legal action and force Blanchard and Anderson to fulfill their contracts by not doing so? It would seem to signal a green light for any Titan wrestler who wants to renege on their contract. So he could have opened up a can of worms here. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, uh, what we talk about in the future with that, because we do know there is going to be some back and forth and some guys who are making jumps, but the first order of business is let's get the belts off of Arn and Tully. And they do that on October 2nd. And it's a superstars taping that airs on November 4th. It's in Wheeling, West Virginia, a sellout again, demolition gets the win and it only takes five and a half minutes to get it done. But again, this is a different era because it's on a tape delay. You lose the match, so you're no longer champions, but you're still going to carry the belts for the next month. 
that's a little weird in hindsight, but that's just the way the business was back then. Right. Yep. That's where it was to, you did what you had to for TV to catch up with you. The, uh, October 31st, 1989, uh, series of tapings is the two out of three falls match with the rockers. And I think you said, this is probably your favorite WWF match that you had two out of three falls with the rockers, right? Yep. Cause we had plenty of time. We had that platform, uh, to do it on. And, uh, by then we had worked with those guys so much. We could do it with our eyes closed. Tully's last match is November 1st, 1989. The ultimate warrior beats him in six minutes by DQ. Uh, it's because you interfere. And after the bout, Jim Neidhart, Shawn Michaels, and Marty make the save. And of course, Haku and Andre come out to level it up. And we know that's going to be something that they're building for survivor series. Um, but Meltzer would write Tully was fired immediately following this taping as a result of failing a drug test. He and Anderson are already on their way out of the WWF and were scheduled to have their last match at survivor series before rejoining the NWA because of the failed drug test. Only Anderson was rehired by Atlanta. The scheduled tag team champions demolition versus Arn Anderson match did not take place. Uh, demolition versus Arn and Tully rather. So what's the thinking here? Let's let the, let's let ultimate warrior beat him. And once we get that out of the way, then we'll let him know he's fired. Well, sure. You're going to get, get the mileage you can out of a guy, uh, because let's face it, you know, it's, if, if they were going to send him home anyway, the, the thing that, that baffles me a little bit, if it was a DQ finish, why wouldn't he had just beat him? Yeah. That's the thing. I guess I want to mention too, that got misconstrued at the time. Wade Keller reported that Blanchard was actually fired for refusing to do the job to the ultimate warrior and that they had to settle on the DQ. I just don't buy that. What's the bullshit. That's bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Well, everybody's talking about you guys jumping, saying it's more than meets the eye. This is going to be a major PR problem. Uh, and they're also saying that perhaps Titan offered the opportunity to send Tully to rehab. Um, I don't know how much of that I believe. I mean, especially if it's, I mean, I don't mean to be weird, but goddamn, what wrestlers in the eighties didn't try cocaine once or twice. And I'm not saying that everybody did. But to act like Tully Blanchard's the only one who did is fucking laughable. Yeah, of course it is. And yeah. thing about it is, in those days, they didn't sit. They weren't, you know, concerned with your health and well-being and send you to rehab. They just left you off for ninety days without pay. Right. It was a punishment. Right. You know, if you got popped for the drug test, you know, there was levels of of of. Uh, punishment and uh, it wasn't about spending a hundred grand to send you to rehab. That wasn't one of the options in hindsight. Well, let me, let me do this before I ask whether you rent or own Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Go to Geico.com today, by the way, boys and girls, I really am thankful to Geico today for bringing us this uh, bonus episode. This is one of my favorite R episodes we've done. Uh, and they brought you the Tully interview. Why not go ahead and support one of your favorite podcasts and save some money? Just get a quote right now at geico.com. Here's my question, Arn. Do you think Vince McMahon wants to set a precedent? He is, he does have a, a, a potential situation on his hands. If you guys put in notice and he just lets you leave, does you think he does the whole drug test thing just to fuck y'all up on the way out? Cause ultimately it ended Tully's career and cut your money in half. 
Of course. He was insulted that we would leave him. And so it was a tit for tat. I'll show you type situation. Yes. And, uh, you know, when you send a guy home like that and, and you know, a guy that's that high profile, it's going to make news and it's going to be a negative that the, that he's going to work with the other company, even though, like you said, 90% of the guys in the locker room and we're doing something, right. you know, uh, it was going to be a, a black eye on us returning there before we ever got there. And that's where the Vince is smart. He's, he knows to play the game and, and use everything to his advantage. And here's the real rib. Let me give you, let me tell you how smart and diabolical he is. After Tully was sent home and whatever, however many weeks, I mean, you could probably tell from that, that I had left. We were working with demolition and suddenly my pay doubled. Really? And every week it was like, wait a minute, is this, am I getting the right check here? He ended up paying me more than I had made with Crockett substantially. So at the end of the day, he did what he said he would do, even though he didn't tell us at the time he was going to do it. But it was like a F you to Tully and an F you to me that, hey, guys, see, I told you to stick with me. I can do anything I want anytime I want. And that ended up being the, my biggest year in the business year to date. Do you think it was a... um we mean you've had a real conversation about this with Crockett before that when things got sideways for you there, you would have stuck around if he just would have had a conversation. Do you think Vince just wasn't communicating? I mean, he clearly had some missteps along the way. You know, he lost money on no holds barred and got distracted and took his eye off the ball with a, a few of those ideas and ventures. But if he would have just come to you and said, Hey guys, I know I said, I'll do this, made some missteps, going to correct it. Hang with me. Maybe that would have been the case, but instead it was, let me figure it out. And then when you pressed him, Hey, uh, I don't have it. Go get your old job back. He was offended that we went to him. Yeah. To question anything about his company. I don't care what it was offended him. And we did it in a business like way. We reminded him of the conversation, the exact numbers, every, the way it went down. Everything, you know, him saying, well, guys, how much do you make? Okay. Well, I'm sure y'all beat that. That's words you, you hang your hat on. Right. Why wouldn't you? Of course. So it was just a, uh, it was what it was. He was offended and, uh, he's going to have the last word. Well, before you get out of here, you mentioned you still had a month's worth of bookings to fulfill with Tully gone. You're going to team with Akeem at least one time. It happened in Rockford, Illinois, November 2nd. Not a huge crowd, only 1,500 fans there. What was it like teaming with Akeem? I don't remember. There you go. I do not remember that. I thought it was Haku all the way out. You did Haku a lot, though, like Peoria, Schofield, all over the place. And, of course, everybody knows about Survivor Series 89. We've even talked about that before, but... It is kind of cool to see you get a rare victory over Shawn Michaels, uh, at a survivor series on your way out. 
you would think conventional wrestling would be beat him fast, beat him early, beat him dominantly. And they didn't do that. They wanted to save me for warrior. <laughs> Cause that's who ended up putting me out later during later during that match survivor series. Right. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure Sean wasn't happy that, you know, my last night there that I was beating him with a spine buster. I'm sure he wasn't happy, but you know, nothing came of it. I did what was asked of me right to the bitter end. Well, let's talk about it. This brings to a close your, your WWF run from 88 to 89. How would you sum up your experience in that period of your life? Uh, I would like to say there was a ton of positives, but to be honest with you, from where I had left, if you weigh one against the other with, uh, you know, the private planes and uh, the family uh, feeling that you had in the locker rooms and the company in general and, you know, just the fact that, that you could be, I could be home a lot of nights the Carolinas and all those places that were drivable afforded you so much more time with your family. And I had a, you know, had a small child, right? Oh, Barrett at the time, I think was three and getting to spend more time with him was just a blessing. And up there, I cannot explain how it was functioning on a day and a half to two and a half days off and having to travel like we were traveling wrestle on a hard ring, which was, you finally got used to that. That was not a, not an issue, but, and play all the head games on top of it. You know, there was just a lot of negatives about being there. Um, it was a learning, learning experience. Like I said, I ended up substantially higher than I had made before. So it was good for my family. And in the very end, Conrad, if you know me, you know, my family comes first period. If I've taken care of them properly, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what company I work for or where I quit or where I stayed when I should have quit and all these other variables. Number one, take care of your family. And that's what I've always done. And it's worked out great for me in the long run, which if you'd have looked at this 20 years ago, you might have said, well, guy had a bright future, but so. I would have preferred to stay with Crockett and the company still be in business, to be honest with you. Well, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. We got some great matches. I got to see you. I was a WWF kid at the time, and uh, I remember your run there very fondly. And now we get to see what happened behind the scenes. And I'm glad we got to cover it in great detail. We've talked a little bit about it before, especially the coming and going, but the actual run in the middle, uh, you were only there a year, but man, you made the most of it, didn't you? I think so. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the, the matches we were able to have and uh, proud of the fact that we were able to grit our teeth and, uh, you know, and get through the travel and all the other difficult things. Uh, it's, it's not an easy place to work. You've got to be a good businessman to last there. You've got to be a, a straight shooter to, to work your way around, you know, uh, all the head games. And uh, it's real easy to remember the truth. You never forget the truth. Just tell the truth. You can always remember it. If you tell lies, you can't remember which lie you told. It gets a little more difficult. So that's my theory, and I'm going to go with it. Well, here's no lie. 
whether you own or rent your home, you know, it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com right now, get a quick quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we greatly appreciate Geico sponsoring this podcast. I've wanted to talk about this for a long time. I'm glad we finally did it. And Arn, three shows in a week. We're overdosing on Arn right here during the holidays. I hope everyone listening to this has a great Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's. And don't forget, we'll be back next week. We're not abandoning you. Uh, but my goodness, three episodes in a week. This was fun, dude. I promise I won't say another word for a while. <laughs> well, I hope that's not true because we're looking to hearing from you next week. Don't forget, if you haven't already, go check out our, our visit with Tully Blanchard. You can also see our shows and get them early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Until next time, he is at The Arn Show. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Arn. Do you own or rent your home? Sure, you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.